Take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 3. Many years ago now, my father was in seminary, and he was taking one of those classes that none of us seminarians like to take, and that is a preaching class. Uh, As pastors, uh, we recognize that you have to suffer through our stuff every week. And um, the only thing that you can even imagine that's worse than having to suffer through my preaching every week is sitting in a class full of preachers, and for the whole semester, you have to listen to their stuff all the time. Because one of the elements of a preaching class in seminary is that they teach you how you're supposed to build a sermon, and then they expect you to do that. And so once you do that, they hand it off in a preaching lab. You come in and you have to preach in front of your peers, and your peers critique the sermon, which is a very torturous process. So my dad was in one of those classes, and one of his classmates submitted a sermon, and he got up and he preached that sermon, and I'm trying to remember the exact word that my dad used to describe it. It was something like horrific or something like that. It was so bad that when he finished, the professor said, so uh, is that it? And the guy responded to him, well, yeah. And the professor said something to the effect of, and you're satisfied with that. To which he replied, it'll do. The professor very wisely responded back, it'll do what? Now, I don't tell you that so that you can start thinking about what is this sermon going to do, but I do it to emphasize a fundamental question for us this morning. Are you satisfied with your life? Look at the broad spectrum picture of who you are and what you're going through in your life and where you find yourself today. Are you satisfied with who you are? And I don't mean just snippets. I mean the full picture. Are you satisfied with everything about who you are? Now, if I ask that in most churches and I could get people to respond very honestly, 99%, I suppose, would respond back, well, no, I'm not totally satisfied. One of the reasons that I know that's true or that I suspect that's true among church people and about people in general is because of the vast number of plastic surgery clinics around the United States. Now, if you have had plastic surgery, more power to you, okay? I'm not picking on you or anything like that. We've got a a member of our extended family who had a nose job done. And all I can say is, That's probably a good thing in that case. (laughs) If you break your nose every time you turn around like that, then you probably need to pull it down a little bit or something like that. But whatever the case, okay, so I'm not picking on whether you've had plastic surgery or you want plastic surgery. What I'm trying to do is get us to the point that we can acknowledge that most people are not fully satisfied with their lives and who they are. And given the opportunity, they'll take steps to correct it. That's a good thing, I think. It is okay for us to desire better 
and to plan accordingly, but you can go too far with that. You can go so far with the desire to do better or be better that all of your life becomes just about you, and that's not acceptable ever. The other end of the spectrum is just as dangerous, I think, and that is to not really care about getting better. I don't know how it is with you, but uh, I know people. My, my brother, for instance, every year coming out of the holiday season into January, he sets some goals for the coming year. And over last year at least, I don't know how it turned out for him. I should call him and ask him, I suppose. But his goal was to learn how to speak Spanish in a conversational level. Now, my brother, today's his birthday. He's 480 years old today. And yet, every year, he pushes something out there like that to help him be better in life and more effective in his job and in his community and in the mission uh, for Christ. How is it with you? Are you driven to be better? Or are you comfortable with who you are? In the next handful of weeks, we will graduate off another set of high school kids. I don't know how it is with the ones that you have. Some of you have some that are graduating. But you know, one of the uh, things that high school graduates like to do is to feel like they've arrived and just kind of sit back and do nothing. I tried that at my house and my dad let me know on day one after graduation, get up, get a job. I thought that meant I had like a month to enjoy being graduated. And I was wrong. It meant get a job today. All of that pushes the question... Are you satisfied with who you are? Are you like the guy in the preaching class who looks at the product and go, it'll do? I want to encourage you today never to settle for less. Always shoot for the best, especially as it relates to your life. And I want to transition this whole thing now and zero in on your spiritual life. How is it with you and your spiritual life. Last week we looked at 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 and John has said something to us there that is noteworthy. I highlighted for us how he stacks up the grammatical exclamation points, a honk and a wave if you'll remember that, that says, hey, I'm about to say something you really need to get. Chapter 3 verse 1, he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. It's an amazing thing. Take note, he says, that we should be called the children of God and so we are. That is a great truth for us, an incredible thing. It's amazing, the truth of that one statement. Are you satisfied with leaving it there? As good as that is, it gets better. That's what we find in these first two verses. Let me pick up where I just left off and listen to what John says. He acknowledges the incredible nature of being able to be called the sons or the children of God. And that's what we are, he says. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now listen to this. Beloved, we are God's children now. But listen to this. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, that is Christ, appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And so what John is saying to us here essentially is that we are a work in progress. 
And however good it is to be called a child of God and to be a child of God, John underscores for us in verse 2 that it just gets better. When Christ returns, we will become like him. That's an interesting comment because John was one of those disciples who got to see Jesus after the resurrection. What must it have been like to be in that upper room with them or later walking along the side of the Sea of Galilee and to be able to interact with Jesus Christ, the risen Lord? What would it have been like to stand on that mountainside, hillside, and watch Jesus as he ascends back to heaven with the promise that he will return? John, with those pictures, I'm sure, just pounding into his thinking, underscores for us how great a privilege it is to be the children of God and to know that we look forward to be even better. Is that good news to you? So here's my question that kind of follows hard on the heels of that one. Is it just getting better for you spiritually? Or is it possible that you find yourself somehow stuck in a spiritual rut? I usually ask this question this way. I don't remember where I heard it first, but it made such an impact on me that I like to share the wealth with everybody on this one. Has there ever been a time in your spiritual life when you were more in tune and in touch with Christ than you are today? Has there ever been a time in your spiritual life when you felt closer to God than you do today? And the fact of the matter, the reality for most of us is that we go through these peaks and valleys in our Christian life and our spiritual development and it's very possible that some of us in here today are at one of the lowest points we've ever been spiritually. Others may be on a mountaintop, but most of us are going to be somewhere in between those two extremes. And that kind of stretches us a little bit when we read these verses like this, that it's just going to get better for us in the spiritual life. And it's a reminder to us that we're all in process. And we all have the very real possibility of stagnating in our spiritual growth. So where do you find yourself today? Let's start there. Where do you find yourself in your spiritual life and are you wanting to improve? Or will it do? So with that in mind, we come to the process. And I jump down to verse 3 now because verse 3 is going to build back off of verses 1 and 2. So here's what John says in verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him, that's referring back. It's not wishful thinking. That is a statement of truth based on verses 1 and 2 and the realities that we find there. We're privileged beyond privilege to be called the children of God and to be the children of God today. But it just gets better from there. Based on that, he says in verse 3, he says, those who thus hope in him purifies himself as he, that is Jesus, is pure. In other words, John's not content to let us roll around in the good news of who we are. He wants us to live there, 
But he immediately turns the tables on us and he pushes us to an awareness and an acknowledgement that there is a responsibility that comes with the privilege. If we are so blessed by the love of God, we in turn must take the steps to purify ourselves. The word there is very definitively tied to a moral kind of purification. It's not the ceremonial stuff that we would have expected from a Jewish writer into a Jewish audience. This is very Christian in that it says to us, because of who Christ is and the love that he shows to us and the potential that we have in the Christian life, we must always be about the process of cleaning up our act, purifying ourselves. In other words, becoming more like Christ. And his reason is because we're supposed to be like him. So we're in process. The goal would be that Christ would look at us as his children and say, that's my boy or that's my girl. But that's a struggle for us, or at least it is for me. Maybe you've arrived in the Christian life and you've got this whole purity thing down, this whole uh, holy living thing down, but it's a continual struggle for me. And I'm going to get very uh, particular about that here in just a second, but let me, let me see if I can draw us in just a little bit more. I was on the phone with my son Colin this week, and he is uh, in, uh, working on his bachelor's degree, and it's crunch time, and he's finishing up one of his, la- his last semester of Greek in college, and, uh, and it's just push comes to shove, and everything comes down, and he made the comment to me, he said, you know, Dad, I'm just tired. I just, you know, I wake up in the morning, and I don't want to study. And so I said this to him. I said, reach down and slap the the floor. Now, does that mean anything to you? Not a word. That doesn't mean anything to you, I'm sure. But to him, it connected because when he was in high school, he played for one of the winningest coaches in the Rio Grande Valley as far as basketball goes uh, in high school basketball. And one of the things that Coach Filoteo taught his varsity players was when they found themselves at a key point in the game and the game was on the line and they needed a defensive stop, they were to reach down and slap the floor with both hands and it triggered for them what they needed to do to push through to get what they needed. So what I would like to do today is show us where John gives us a slap the floor motivational push to be more like Christ. So let's see what he says here. We're in verse 3 still. I'll read it and then I'm going to keep reading. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Do you catch that verse? Everyone who makes a practice of sinning. Now that ought to rock our theological horse pretty heavily. Verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has ever seen him or knows him. So back to verse 3, this idea of purification. And then John begins to make a turn for us. He gives us two basic points of motivation. And I'll throw these out there. We'll be done. But it'll give you enough stuff to work on 
for the rest of the week and maybe even for the rest of your life? How do you make that step in your Christian life to be, to be and continue to be motivated towards purity? First of all, verses four through six, we just read, emphasize loyalty. First of all, John defines sin for us in a little different way than what we've already looked at. You may remember that when we talked about this before, he talked about sin as a deviation or a wandering from the path of righteousness. Remember the story I told you about the guy backpacking. And so that sin for us is that choice to step off of the path and to deviate from the path of righteousness. But now John uses a different term to get to sin for us, and it is a term that very literally translated means without law or lawless. Let me give you an example of lawless, and we'll pull it together on how we entertain this. And even as Christian people, we adopt a posture of lawlessness if we're not careful. Uh, the, the reason we're having church in here today instead of in the worship center down the way is because our church was victim to some lawless people last week. Uh, we found out on Friday, Aaron was up here working because the rest of us don't work. Um, <laughs> well, at least not this past Friday we didn't. And uh, so I get a call sometime moving towards lunchtime, middle of the morning, something like that. And Aaron says, um, bad news. Well, the bad news is our yard guys, first of all, scared him to death, came over there and he's over there in the office and uh, they come to the door and, uh, well, let's just say eventually we got the message from them that on the far southern end of our property or, or of the buildings, the two air conditioner units that we have out there that face to the south uh, had fallen victim to copper thieves. And so um, we started the process and uh, making phone calls and Donnie Core came over, who's our chairman of the building and grounds committee. And uh, so here's the bottom line thing. Okay, we're over here because there's no air conditioning or not enough air conditioning for that building over there now. Uh, and in the long run, that lawless deed, sin, remember the word here? Those guys being lawless, doing lawless stuff, sin, according to the term here, are gonna cost us, or somebody, between twenty and $40,000 potentially to replace those units. They did a sinful thing, lawless here against the law. They took property that was not theirs to take. You with me? Everybody got that definition? All right. So now let's jump to how quickly we embrace lawlessness in our lives. What is your first gut level reaction to that piece of information I just gave you? I say in Christian love, let's kill them. Actually, that's probably, okay, now, now's the time. You should know that you have a pastor who doesn't always think like a pastor does. Uh, and that's not a good thing, maybe. Yesterday, we had a work day up here. And th those of you who helped, I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, got a lot of good work done. I appreciate so much you giving up your time to do that and uh, saves the church money when we do that. And 
It's a good thing. We need to save money because we got to buy new air conditioner units. But uh, um, I always love the banter that goes on between guys as they're working because it's just great Christian fellowship. I, uh, I enjoy that. But um, So the word gets out yesterday because we found out on Friday about the air conditioners, the sinful, lawless deeds of these other guys. And so we start talking about it. And... Spencer's working through our video surveillance stuff to see if we can catch them and, you know, some of those kind of things. And, well, in the process of that, the question comes to how can we make sure that we don't fall victim to this again? And here's my idea, okay? You just want to know just how sinful your pastor is? Here's my idea. I think that we should dig holes in front and around every one of our air conditioner units and put those punji sticks from from the Vietnam War and coat them, coat them with poison and then put some kind of fake grass over the top of it so when somebody goes in there, well, if you're going to service our air conditioners, you need to talk to us first. Um, but if some lawless person comes in to try to steal our air conditioner copper, uh, then they're greeted by a Vietnamese welcoming party. I have to tell you, I've had four people offer to donate their shovels for the project since the morning service. Does that sound like something Jesus would do? That's why I don't wear a WWJD bracelet from years ago. I never wore one of them because most of the time my sin says I don't care what Jesus would do because I have a better idea. So here's what happens. The, the, the admonition here is purify yourself. It is a conscious decision. The yourself or himself as it's written here purifies himself. That is very specifically written to emphasize I have a role to play in this. The verb tense is present. It's an ongoing process, okay? So what John is saying to us, because of the incredible privilege we have, there is a responsibility we have, catch me now, not to introduce into the life of Christ something that he would never do himself. So that makes my solution to the air conditioner problem flat out demonic, Right? Funny's good. I'm, I'm good funny, especially if it'll make the point. But here's the deal, okay? I've been here four years. This is the first time we've had an air conditioner problem. Let's put it off of me and let's put it onto all of us. How about, I always like to use this one because it seems to get us all. How about that knucklehead driving in front of you who does something that causes you to think in your head, if I could get by with it, I would run you off the road. Okay, that's a little strong. Everybody doesn't drive like a road trammel does. So how about the person who offends you by something that they said? And in your heart, they're dead. Can you imagine Jesus feeling that way about anybody? Because if I read my Bible right, Jesus died on the cross for everybody. Now, it's easier for us to say he died for everybody 
then he died for that somebody because that somebody, I'm pointing at Aaron because I don't like him. Now, that's not true. He knows I like him. It's easy for me to pick on him. But don't we do that? Don't we in our minds, we set up these sins, these lawless things that in our mind we justify them and it's okay because after all, that person's a scumbag. And maybe it's not even having to do with somebody else. Maybe it's having something totally to do with me and I introduce things into my life that would never go there with Jesus being right by my side. Here, when I was going into my junior year in high school, my brother was about to go off to college and during that summertime, um, my parents left the country for three weeks, a little over three weeks. They were going to South America on a crusade and they left the house to me and my brother. Big mistake. And all of our friends somehow magically found out that my parents were out of town for almost a month. And so the party was on. And we introduced things into my parents' house that my parents would have never agreed to be there. And we thought we pulled it off until not long after they got back. My mother called me into the kitchen and she held up a bottle cap that had a label on it and she said where did this come from and my answer was it was Harv that's my brother (laughs) see that's what we do with Jesus we bring things into the family we bring things into our life with him and we go back to verse 3 and John says Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And here's what I want you to get. I'm not trying to heap guilt on us. I'm just trying to emphasize this point. John's going to go from this into a discussion in verse 11 about loving one another. He's dealing with a group of people who were not getting along. And some of them were walking away. And they were, they were just stuck. And the answer to their Christian life was, does it work? And they would say, it'll do. But John says, it won't do. And so he holds the standard for us, verses 4 through 6. I've already read through those things. That we can't just say, well, it's just a little bit of sin. Or it's just this one area. And it's okay. I mean, it's, it's not like I'm killing anybody or anything. Until you take Jesus' definition of that. So there's a matter of loyalty that we pull into this and then and I'll close with this there's also a motivation for holy living that comes from our heritage verses 7 through 9 little children let no one deceive you whoever practices righteousness is righteous as Jesus is righteous whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning the reason that the son of god appeared was to destroy the works of the devil in other words it has no place In your lives. No one, verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident that we are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother.
And so the motivation for holy living and rooting out those strongholds of lawlessness and sin in our own lives is based on who's your daddy. Because if you're a child of God, John says, you can't just keep doing that. Let me just ask you to bow your heads with me, if you will, and here's how we close. Have you grown accustomed to pieces or strongholds of sin in your life? Maybe you wouldn't even call it sin. Maybe you call it bad habit. Maybe it's called, well, that's just how I am. You know, I am Irish after all. We get mad. You have those pieces of your life where you have adopted something that doesn't belong in the life of Christ. Let me just encourage you, don't ever settle for less than holy living. What do you do with this? Are you satisfied with where you are in your Christian life? Would you like to go to new places? The love of God pushes us to holiness. If you don't know who Jesus is as your Savior, that's the first step. Respond to the love that the Father has shown you by sending His Son to pay the price of your sin so that you could have life. It's more than avoiding hell, it's about living now and all through eternity. And if you don't know that, if you don't experience that already in your life, now's the time. You ought to fix that today. And we can help with that. It's a discussion. We can start it today. If you're ready to accept Christ, we'll help you to do that. But don't walk away from the invitation of life that comes from the heart of God. Maybe you're here and you've responded to that invitation of life, but you're at a low point spiritually. Maybe you're at a point where you're just kind of going through the motions. It'll do nothing to write home about you know that there's a better way out there and that God is pulling you towards holiness whatever it is that God's doing in your life now I just want to invite you to deal with it sometimes it helps to have someone else pray with you talk through it sometimes you can just handle it between you and God that's fine I don't want you to do anything you don't want to do just respond to what God what God is saying to you even now and commit yourself to holiness in your life. And Father, we give you this time. We pray that you would change lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.